and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Good morning, Bent Tree Church. It's good to see you guys. I've got my coffee, I've got my clicker, I've got my Bible. Who has their Bible? Let's see those things. Hold them up for me. You, you don't know how beautiful that is. Um, I'm told by people that go to other churches on vacation, they go, hey, no one had their Bible at the church I visited. And uh, so it's good to see you guys have your Bible. Uh, and, and here we are getting ready for uh, Independence Day celebration. And uh, we have an independence that we're celebrating here, right? Uh, independence from sin. We've been set free from sin. And so uh, as we get ready to study... Um, I've been asked, Paul, what can we do for our country? You know, how do we make this country really uh, love the Lord? And, and it's right here. Now, now listen close. It, it's in here, but it's not just you sharing this. It's you getting to know Jesus more and more every day. Because when you know Jesus more and more every day, you will be a light in a dark place. You will be the salt that Jesus talks about to a world that is hurting and dying. Uh, They may make fun of you. They may persecute you. But when things are rough, they will go to you and say, hey, I know you're a Christian. Would you pray for me? Would you share with me what I can do to, to be like you, to find that joy that you have? Well, I can't wait to get into this today. Um, so glad you could be here. Like uh, Brother Ed said, God, we just thank you for this freedom to worship you freely. And, and for those brothers and sisters across the world that are worshiping in secret right now, I think of, I've had the opportunity of worshiping in China in the secret church and in Africa and, and uh, Korea. Uh, it's just amazing to think right now, all around the world, people are worshiping today uh, even though they don't have freedom. So let's take advantage of that freedom. Uh, here we are at the end of chapter 6 of John. Can you believe it? Um, now, before you get too excited, there's still some really good stuff to discover in this chapter. So we'll be here at least a couple of more weeks, God willing, maybe three, but a couple of more weeks. Uh, but for t- today, we're going to p- focus in on a private conversation between Jesus and just the 12 disciples. Everyone has left. The big crowds, the 20 plus thousand people, they're gone. They're gone. The Jewish leaders, gone. Just the 12. All those people had said... Uh, Back in verse 60, they said, Jesus, this stuff is too hard. Who can, who can handle any of this stuff? They don't want any part of it. So they walk away. If you would, look at verse 67. So Jesus said to, them, said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, you'll remember we looked at this question the last time we were together. Jesus is asking this question, but he already knows the answer, Right? So Jesus is leading these 12 to ask themselves this question. He wants us to ask the question as well to ourselves. Do we want to go away as well like everyone else that has? Like the crowd that has left. Most people that hear Jesus' message, they simply go, that's too much. Jesus asked, will you leave like the rest? Because the message I gave to you is what you didn't want to hear. Is following me too hard? Jesus says. 
Well, then look at verse 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love this next line. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I've got to tell you, I love Peter. I love this character, Peter, because he sometimes speaks before anyone else. He just jumps out there and he often speaks without, well, thinking it through all the way. And and, well, let's face it, he's often wrong, but he's always certain. I like that. He's like, I'm certainly wrong. And as you read through all four of the gospels, you'll see Peter is is fast answer, and he's overconfident. And, and Peter follows Jesus. He shows him that Peter uh, was actually wrong most of the time, that he was ignorant, and he was weak, and he's cowardly. But we love Peter, don't we? Because I think we see ourselves in him. At least I do. I, I mean, on the good side, Peter tries his best to be loyal to Jesus. And he's he's on the inside of the 12, um, He's like the three amigos, you know, like Peter, James, and John. Uh, He's right there. He seems to always be right at Jesus' side. He's the inner circle of the inner circle. Even when Jesus leaves the others behind, he takes Peter with him. So although Peter is frequently wrong, as he answers Jesus here, Peter is correct, isn't he? He says the exact right thing. In fact, guided by the Holy Spirit... Peter has this great insight. He speaks some truth that we can hang on to here in verse 68 and 69. It reminds us when Jesus is walking along to Caesarea Philippi on his way with all the disciples earlier than this. And he says, hey, guys, guys, who do people say that I am? And some say, they, they say, some say prophets, some say Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some say John the Baptist. Then the question changes. Jesus gets real personal. He says, guys, who do you say that I am? And if you flip over to Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is saying, that's right, Peter, and you, and you didn't come up with that on your own. In fact, Peter, you were blessed by God because that truth that you just revealed, gave to us was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And we see that same confession here in these last few verses of John 6. Peter is getting it, isn't he? And again, it's not Peter figuring it out, the The Holy Spirit is is giving this to Peter, and he believes Jesus is the Son of God, doesn't he? So let's take a look at verse 68 and 69 again. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter confesses this great truth. And what's interesting is, is how Peter words it. I want you to look in your Bible in your own lap there. There's two words I want us to look at. Look at verse 69, second half of 69. Here it is. Peter says, we have believed and we have come to know. So underline believed and know. 
that you are the Holy One of God. Now, underline those words, believed and know, and the words, the Holy One of God. Now, don't lose believed and know. I, I just have to remind you from our last time together, that title, the Holy One of God, it is, um, it is a correct title. He is the Holy One of God. He is not the Holy One from God. He is God himself. Peter is saying, there's no other choice to make here, Jesus. We knew who Jesus was. He was what our Bibles label Lord. Yeshua. Peter was placing Jesus with God himself, not from man. Jesus is God himself, the second member of the Trinity. Okay, back to those two words, believed and know in verse 69. Here's what we need to understand about those two words. The order of those two words, very important. Because it's the divine order for a true understanding of what it means to believe and know or believe and follow. Here's what I mean. Write this down. Belief comes first. Then comes the certainty of knowing. Belief comes first, then comes the certainty of knowing. Belief comes first, then comes the certainty of knowing. Now, why is the order so important in these two words? Well, for one thing, this order doesn't match our natural way of thinking and acting. Think about this. Usually we make sure of something before we believe in it, right? If we see a bridge when we're hiking in the woods and it's going over this rushing river that we would drown in, we check the bridge out to make sure it's good first before we put our weight on it. We want to know that bridge can carry our weight before we step on it. But Peter's answer is backward in our way of thinking. So check this out. He, he's right in his answer, but it doesn't match up with the natural way mankind thinks about believing and knowing. God works differently than we do. We know that. Let me see if I can give you another example from Scripture. Flip over to Psalm. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Psalms 27, verse 13. Psalm 27, verse 13. King David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. King David in the psalm, and the psalm is saying, I believe and my eyes will see. In other words, I will know. I believe first. David believes first, understanding that he will know more because of his belief. You with me? Or how about this one? In John 11, as Jesus is talking to Martha, he's about to raise her dead brother Lazarus back to life. He hasn't raised Lazarus back to life when he says this. It says in verse 40 of John 11, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you what? Believed, you would See the glory of God. One more. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 3. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So by faith we understand. What could you say there? We believed, right? 
by faith we understand before we see it. Do you see the pattern that's going on? We could go on and on with this. It's just laid out in scripture. This is so critical that we get this down. Do you see how believing always comes first? Now, why is that? Why does God reverse what we naturally think of knowing then believing? Here's the, here's the answer. Are you ready to write this down? I do not know. <laughs> the Greek translation of that is I do not know. I mean, we're told God's ways are not our ways. Think of a tiny little ant, the tiniest little ant you've ever seen, walking on the biggest building you've ever seen. He's on the side of a building. He knows that he's walking there. He knows he's on something. He doesn't have a concept of who built it, who designed it, what it's made out of. He doesn't know the history of the building. He doesn't know all the thousands of people that work inside that building. He doesn't know all their stories, does he? The ant only sees right where he's walking. He doesn't see the big picture of the building. Why? Well, for one, the size of who he is compared to his creation. He's traveling. He just sees the little tiny part of the building he's walking on, this giant skyscraper. But much more, the tiny brain the ant holds in his head, he's very finite. This giant skyscraper that he's on, he can't understand all the story behind it. Well, that seems like an infinite distance between that tiny little ant and the building, doesn't it? But here's the deal. This will blow your mind. The difference between that ant and the skyscraper and all the information in the skyscraper is nothing compared to who God is in his infiniteness and who we are in our finiteness. You can see the reason we use this analogy of the ant and the skyscraper is because that analogy can actually fit inside our little brains, can it? The difference between God and man, well, that can't. It can't fit inside our little brains. We just can't fully know God. It's too far beyond us, at least at this point. Now, that seems hopeless when I say that, doesn't it? But here's the good news. God, through his word, has made himself known to us in a way we can understand. Because of that word, we see that God has come down from heaven. He has taken on uh, his infiniteness and put himself in the finiteness of a baby embryo in the tummy of a teenage girl. He's taken on the flesh because God has made himself known. What we can do, though, is we can believe and then what? Know at least in part who God is and what he does. Now say in part, because the believing part that we start with is from God. It is revealed to us. We must know, we must believe before we can know though. Believing takes a moment. Knowing will take an eternity. Here's what I know. Write this down. Assurance, insight, and knowledge are the fruit of believing. They are not the cause of it. Assurance, insight, and knowledge are the fruit of believing or the result of. They are not the cause of it. 
This points back to the doctrines of grace that Jesus has been teaching throughout the chapter. On one hand, we see the truth of our need and responsibility to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. We see that. Flip back to John 6 for a minute and way back up to verse 35. You'll remember this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And yet, at the very same time, we understand that no one can believe unless God the Father has given that person to Jesus. Both of those things are true. How do we know that? Because verse 44, remember, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, Jesus says this three times in this chapter. We see it here in verse 44. We saw it up in verse 37, and we see it again in verse 65. You think it's important? Jesus repeats it three times. The thing I want us to understand here is that our certainty in Jesus as the Son of God and then knowing that truth does not come by listening to arguments of dudes like me or reading Christian books or watching a a good Christian video on social media. Now, none of that stuff is bad in and of itself. In fact, they could be very good. But listen to me, knowing God and having a relationship with God, that relationship comes from first believing what God has said about his son in the scriptures first. Believing comes first. Then we can begin to know. Now listen, I get it. Wacky. In our way of thinking. I mean, whoever hears of believing something without knowing about it first. I mean, that just seems crazy. We want to know something first and then we believe. That's our logical mind. But remember, we're like the ant on the skyscraper, right? We don't approach life or operate based on how we think our salvation should work. We always operate, we live life based on what the Bible actually says. Although we can't fully know or understand the order, Here's what I think the purpose is. The purpose of believing first is twofold. First, believing is wrapped up in the work of God alone. What we mean is that we believe because we have been chosen, regenerated, given the gift of faith to believe. God acts first. We see our sin. We see the holiness of God. We see our unworthiness, how guilty we are in God's sight. And because God has brought us to life, we then understand the gospel. We come to life spiritually. We're born again. We're born from above, using Jesus' words. We believe the good news that says, believe in my son as the son of God. Now believe that God the Father has raised him from death. Confess that truth and you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe that he has taken my place in, for my sin that I owed. He died in my place. When we believe that, that leads us to repent of our sin. When we repent of our sin, of not following Jesus' words before, not being saved, 
We repent not because we, well, we are saved. What we, uh, what we just said is our justification before. Our legal def- definition that God declares us righteous. He says, he says, you are righteous. Even though we're standing there, we're going, but I'm sinful. But you've been declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. That's what justification means. It's a legal term. We are declared righteous by God himself because of Jesus, not because of us. Because of what Jesus has taken on our sins, on the cross, given us then his righteousness, the great exchange, right? Not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done. Now, all of that, all of that is the believing part, isn't it? We believe that, all of what I just said. But where does the knowing part come from that Peter's declaring here? That's the second part. The knowing part is that Peter is talking about here. It is the relationship that then begins to develop between a believer and God through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. See if this makes sense. Write this down. The knowing of God comes and begins to grow because the relationship with God. The knowing of God comes and begins to grow because the relationship with God. Let me see if I can give you an analogy. Use it if it helps. Throw it out if it doesn't. If it confuses you. I married Bibi. On June 3rd, 1989, I loved her then, I love her now. Back when we got married, I knew I would grow in my love for her. I just didn't know how it would all work. Here's how it worked. Living life together, my relationship with Bibi grew over these years because both knowledge of her and I, our relationship grew. Does that make sense? I loved her back in 1989, but my love for her is much, much, much deeper because of our relationship. Is is that making sense? That's knowing her. As we live life with God, I'm, I'm talking about believers in Christ, born again Christians, legit believers. As we face the hard times and the good times, as we face the mountains and the valleys, We are following Jesus, the working of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the believer by reading and studying scripture, by prayer, the breathing out prayers. God, this is where I need you. God, you are holy. And then reading what God says back to me every day through the preaching then of God's word like you're hearing right now, through communion, through baptism, through simply living the life following the teachings of Jesus and of all the scripture in the Bible. What we just said is that we, what we call the ordinary means of grace. Not to say that grace is somehow ordinary, but to say that ordinarily his grace every day, every minute flows through things like that in living our lives in relationship with Jesus. Here's my point. As we live our lives and as we follow Jesus as believers, we begin to know, not just understand, but know Jesus more. And as a result, is an ever-deepening love for him 
in a change that happens within us. We begin to look more like Jesus in how we live our lives. And it's really clear here at the end of John 6. Peter is saying, we came to believe first. And now, because we have been living life with you for three years, Jesus, you have been teaching us. We know you now. We know you. Our relationship with you has grown. Now, think about that for just a moment. God made the promise way back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after they sinned, man and woman sinned, to come and rescue his people. We call that the first gospel. In Latin, it's referred to as the proto-evangelium, literally meaning first gospel. God promised that he would send a rescue mission, a man who would be born of a woman, who would be bruised on the heel by Satan, but then would crush Satan's head. In other words, that child would defeat Satan. Listen, God has never made a promise that he has not kept. He's good for it. His word is his bond. And what is his word? Right here. Read this. As Peter replies to Jesus, look at verse 68 and 69. Once again, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter has believed in that believing in Jesus as the Son of God, we know has come from God himself, giving Peter to Jesus. God has given Peter that realization now. But it should send shivers down our spine to know what God said about those who will not believe his testimony about Jesus. God the Father's testimony about Jesus. Flip towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 5 verse 9. John writes, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. So here's the testimony of God. You ready? Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him, who's him, God, has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. This is a big, big statement. Let's make sure we understand it. Because this is talking about God's desire. God's heart. God desires to be believed with what he has said about his son Jesus. And on top of that, God wants us to believe him because of who he is, who God is. Think about what it's saying here. In our everyday lives, we believe people all the time, don't we? We believe people who say, hey, I saw that movie last night. It was very good. Hey, I love this new Mexican food restaurant. It's wonderful. I, I mean, riding in a car or an airplane... We're trusting people's word. It's safe. Sometimes we don't even know the other person. Most of the time, uh, maybe we're driving across a bridge. We trust the people that built the bridge. And here's God saying, you trust other people. You can trust me. You can trust me. And when we don't trust God, what does it say that we're doing? Well, the scripture is clear, isn't it? We're calling God a liar. <laughs> 
That's a serious charge. Here's what we're getting at. If you want certainty of spiritual things, we must believe what God says. Then in belief, knowledge will begin to grow. It's kind of what we were saying at the beginning. Believe and know. If you want the certainty of spiritual things, we must believe what God says. Then in belief, our knowledge will begin to grow. If we look back at the entire three years of Peter following Jesus all over Israel... Peter's been seeing all these miracles we've studied, like uh, the turning of the water into the wine, the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, even here in chapter 6 with feeding this massive crowd with just a few loaves of bread and fish, or even Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking out to him. Peter's experienced all that firsthand. Peter's believing in Jesus didn't come, look, he didn't come by seeing those miracles. His belief came from believing in what Peter called the words of eternal life that Jesus had spoken. Peter didn't see all those miracles and say, well, since you did all that stuff, well, then I'll believe it. It was Jesus' words that brought Peter to life. Now, this is key for us. Believing in the words of Jesus. And you might be tempted to say, well, if I had been there... And maybe I wouldn't worry so much about my life. Maybe I could just trust Jesus if I had been there sitting at his feet listening to him teach. But here's the thing. We do have the words right here. This is what Jesus said. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. It's what the Reformation is based on. The Bible is effective and sufficient to know and to grow that relationship with God. He has given us enough. It's what we mean by sufficient. It is enough. Is it all of God? No. God's infinite. He's given us enough of himself. As we study it, as we hear it preached, we unpack it. We apply it. This book, we see our relationship with God grow. We come to know God just like Peter's talking about. Look at verse 69. Peter does some, get something wrong here. See if you can spot it. Verse 69 And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, there is something wrong in there, at least incomplete. Peter believed, and out of the 12, 10 of the other disciples believed. We see that played out later on in their faith, but but someone doesn't believe. We read in verse 70 and 71, this is the end of the chapter. Here it is. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It's like chapter 6 kind of reaches this crescendo of truth. This main area of truth of how people can follow Jesus and what that means, who Jesus is. And then it's like they just tack on, John tacks on this little part here. I mean, we could have landed the plane right there, right? But then this little dark passage right at the end. Peter confesses this great truth. He is believed and he thinks it includes all the others. He's so sure of himself 
How could you not believe, he's thinking. But Jesus sees hearts. There are 11 that believe, but one is a devil, Jesus says. What is Jesus speaking about? Judas and Judas's betrayal that will be coming. Now, Judas is going to sell Jesus out. And look, Jesus already knows it. And even Judas doesn't know it yet. But the other disciples don't, uh, not in, uh, but the other disciples don't um, think Judas is different. They, they don't think Judas is planning on selling Jesus out. I mean, now this is frightening to me because Peter and the other disciples, they've lived with Judas for three years. I mean, they've talked for hours as they've walked along the roads. They've walked hundreds of miles. They, they sleep next to him every night by the fire. They eat together. They have traveled together. They know this man and they do not suspect he's not a real believer. Now, what frightens me about this, that as I pastor a church, I realize, I know that not everyone here has saving faith in Jesus. I hope for you that don't believe, I hope you become a Christian. I hope you will believe. But here's my worry. It's those that call themselves Christians and they look like real followers of Christ and they look just like you and me, but they're not saved. Hear me loud and clear. It's only Jesus who sees the heart of a person and knows of a person's true spiritual condition. It's only Jesus who sees the heart of a person and knows of a person's true spiritual condition. I get asked by people all the time, they'll describe a family member to me and they'll say, do you think he's saved? Do you think she's saved? And certainly there are some signs and clues of a person following Christ. Like, do they have spiritual fruit being produced? Like, do they love others? Uh, are they, or are they selfish? Do they have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control? But there's a warning here. We can only see what people are doing on the outside. We can't see what they're thinking or what they're believing. We just can't. But Jesus can and does. 1 Samuel, back Old Testament school here, chapter 16, verse 7, second half of verse 7. The Lord, Yahweh, that's Yahweh, sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, Yahweh, looks on the heart. It's only God's job to look at the heart, not ours. Now, we have other Christians. We other Christians have to be very careful. We have to be humble in our evaluation of each other, but we do that to help each other grow. Ultimately, we must believe it in God's hands. I'm talking about other people's salvation, even their growth. But let's be clear, even for those who claim Christianity, we never stop talking about, sharing about the gospel to our family and our friends, even, even ourselves. Because it's the gospel that will penetrate the dead hearts of unbelievers with the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot argue someone into the kingdom of God. Only the Holy Spirit can. You shoot that arrow, you shoot it straight, you shoot it true. But it's God who pierces the heart. And for those that are born again and believe the gospel message grows more and more precious. It grows, it means too much to us. We, I mean, we can't explain it. 
The message never stops growing in our hearts. I mean, it takes on more meaning the older and more mature we get. This relationship with God, the knowing of God part, comes from believing. We believe, then we know. This is what we're talking about earlier. The infinite God pouring into us, his finite followers were always growing. Now, for those that are believers, I think that even when we get to heaven, that the gospel message will grow and mean even more to us. And for those that are not Christians and people who claim to be saved and are not, we leave it up to God to save them. We can't save them. But what we can do is to always understand that we are going to be a fountain of the gospel. That as God pours into us, we pour out to them because they need it. We have the words of life. Peter has... He... Peter, as he's talking to Jesus, simply assumes that Judas is a believer like him. He, he can't see Judas' heart. He says, he, you know, he must believe. Jesus, he sees Judas' heart. Not only does Judas not believe, he's actually an enemy of Jesus. Now, back to what we talked about at the beginning of our time today and believing and knowing God. The difference between Peter and Judas. I want you to think about that. We're going to look at Judas next week. It's terrifying. Peter had believed in Jesus' words and then had begun to know Jesus in a real relationship. Judas, on the other hand, had simply tried to know Jesus but did not believe him. Do you see the difference? It's what I think we see regularly in the church today in America. Judas will become so frustrated with Jesus because Jesus isn't doing what Judas thinks he should be doing in his life. You see, most people that call themselves Christians in America want to add a little bit of Jesus into their life. Like, here's my plan, Jesus. You bless it, and then we'll be good. You follow my direction, Jesus? And when Jesus doesn't come through the way they had planned, they sell Jesus out to a worldview that they think might work better than Jesus. I think in most people's minds, it's not just that they have let go of Jesus altogether. They just kind of use the idea of Jesus. Like Jesus helps them be kind of a better person. Get more sales. Be, Be better looking. But if you, you see, it doesn't work that way. Peter, on the other hand, has come to a different point of understanding. He has believed. You can tell the difference in the, the way Peter says it. One more time, back to verse 68, 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have the eternal words of life. You see, the thing with belief here, Peter has come to the end of his searching. He's come to life in Christ Jesus with belief. It is saying, I believe this is to be true, and therefore nothing else matters that claims to be true. When Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You get what he's saying. He's given up on the world. Nothing else matters. Where are you going? Where are you going in that kind of belief? Are you like, are you like Peter? 
Could you be saying that kind of prayer right, right now? Just say, Lord, where else could we go? Would you bow your head? And let's just pray together for a few minutes as we just enter into a time of prayer. Could you pray something like this and mean it? Just listen to this. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Those are the words of Peter. Can you pray that? Could you mean that? So what do you do with that if you do mean it? Ask yourself, why are you wasting your time on anything else in life? And listen, I'm not saying you quit your job or leave your family. No, 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 I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that living that life that God is giving you right now, but with the understanding that God has placed you where he has placed you in this life to be light and salt for him. When you do that, suddenly your life is not what Jesus can simply add to your plans. When you view life this way, it is God, what do you want me to do in my life? Who do you want me to reach? You struggling at work? How about with family? Pray this with me. God, I'm yours. I believe and I want to know you. Would you just reveal yourself through your word to me? I confess my belief. Help me to to obey you, to walk in your truth of your words written right here in Scripture. Jesus, help me to become the follower you have designed me to be. Show me what you want to do today and tomorrow. I trust you, God, with my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.